for your faithfulness, for your love, and for the provision of that which was dearest to your heart, your own son for us. And Lord, I pray that we never get over the cross of Jesus and, and his willingness to go and your willingness to send him. Lord, what a depth of love, something that we'll never fully understand in this side of eternity. But we know, Lord, that it was through his life, it was through his sacrifice, that the gateway to heaven was open for us who do not deserve it, Lord, to receive your forgiveness and grace so that we can be granted entrance simply because of how wonderful you are. So we bless you, and as we look at your word today, we pray that your word would speak into our lives. And I pray, God, that as we sit here today as the redeemed, that your spirit has deposited in each one of us gifts that are designed to be used to build up the people all around us that are here. So, Father, I pray that as you inpour into your people's life, that there be an outpouring from person to person, saint to saint, believer to believer, where we would just allow iron to sharpen iron here at this church and where we'd be strengthened in the faith. Lord, we know you're coming back quick. This could be the year. And and we want to be prepared to meet you face to face, Lord. We thank you for your love. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for this church that you've given us to assemble together and to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be in Genesis, finishing up 25. We'll try to get moving here. We're at the halfway point of the book. And you know, it's kind of a great jump going from Revelation to Genesis. And i got to be honest with you, I fell about bailing out of it a few times. But God, is he's so faithful in my life, he doesn't let me do what I want to do half the time, or most of the time. So we're going to keep persevering through, and, and hopefully that the Spirit's ministering to you as this Word is living and active, and it has a purpose for why God has sent it forth. But last week in, in Genesis 25, uh, you know, we just left off that Isaac and Rebekah had been married, and they'd been married 20 years, and she was barren. Uh, she, she couldn't get pregnant, and, and the promise was given that through their seed were all nations of the earth going to be blessed. Why is that? Because the Messiah, the Deliverer, who we know to be Jesus Christ, would come through this lineage. This is the one that God had chosen. So you know what Rebecca had that, that really made her a blessed woman? She had a praying husband. And I'll tell you, ladies, if you've got a praying husband, you are a blessed lady indeed. And and so he prays for her, and she gets pregnant, and all of a sudden, you know, there's all this friction inside, you know, very picturesque of the war that wages inside the believer's life. We, we talked about it last week. I'm not going to go back over it, but it's the flesh and the spirit. It's the fallen side of us versus the redeemed side of us. It's the side that's in rebellion to God versus the side that's in submission to God. And that war that wages inside of us, so important, Paul said, that we continue to yield ourselves to the spirit of God, that we would be the spirit servants and not the flesh servants. So we're picking up today. Hold on, i got to flip these around. There we go. And we're picking up today in verse uh, 22. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. Simple thing. 
Simple thing, you know, but unfortunately for us as believers, we depart from the simple things, don't we? Sometimes we get a little bit too complex, we get on rabbit trails, and, and, and we try to get deep in areas that maybe don't really matter as much, but the simple thing we see here is that she had something going on in her life, and she went to inquire of the Lord, all right? She just asked God about it, and the Lord said unto her. So God tells her what's going on. I want you to remember this verse. This is such a strong verse. It's one that you can write down, circle. I've got it boxed out in my Bible because this is an invitation that God gives to you and me because I don't know about you, man, but sometimes in my life I just wonder what in the world's going on. And this is what he says in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, you call unto me and I will answer thee. We serve a God that answers our questions. I don't know about you, but life throws me a lot of questions. Call unto me, I will answer thee, and I'm going to show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So this wasn't even written in her time yet, but nevertheless, this biblical principle was already established in the heart of Rebecca. She went to inquire of the Lord, and guess what? And the Lord answers her. He answers her, and he said, there's two nations inside of you, two manner of people. Now remember, God knows the end from the beginning, so he knows exactly who these two boys are, exactly what they're going to become, exactly their will and their choices in life. He knows the end from the beginning. So he says that, that um, two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger, which never happens. And it's speaking about two rival nations. Is this one baby, the younger one, who would be Jacob, would go on to become Israel, and the other one, the older one, Esau, the older one would go on to become Edom, and they would be two warring nations. And they're very symbolic of the flesh and the spirit that are at war with one another continually. And, and, and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Okay, so she's got twins in her room, and look at this, and the first one came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. Just what you're hoping for when you have a baby, right? I just want a hairy baby. I mean, we're not talking Gerber here. We're talking more like the Muppets, you know? So, so this guy comes out, man, and they named him Esau, which means hairy. That's what it means. It means hairy, you know? It's a great revelation. Uh, I don't know. Let's hide that kid for a few years. But, and, and it says, and after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bare him. So he was 60 years old when, when he had to uh, raise these twin boys. But the younger one's name is Jacob, and it's important because his name means heel catcher. All right? And, and by that, it's a Hebrew idiom for deceptive behavior. All right? That this guy would have a weakness in him. Now, look at. There's a lot of good about this guy, but he's got this weakness in his life. And it's very important that we know our life's weaknesses. And the weakness of, of his life is that he can be a deceptive person to get his way. All right? And, and boy, oh boy, isn't that common for all of our flesh? You know, but, but it says here that, that uh, they, that's what they named him. Uh, it would be... This is going to be the character that he's going to deal with, and God's going to deal with this area of his character, okay? Now, it says, and the boys grew, as boys do, and Esau was a cunning hunter and a man of the field, okay? So, so this guy, you know, he, he was just, he was a man's man. He liked to be out in the field. He liked to be hunting. You know, he'd be on one of those hunting outdoor shows. Uh, he was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. But it says here that Jacob was a plain man and he dwelt in tents. 
So we see, it's amazing how you can have, how you can have the same genetic code but give birth to two totally different individuals. And, and we see that with them here. But I want you to look at what it says here. In the King James, it says he was a plain man. What this means, although we're going to see some deceptiveness in this guy, is that it mean, plain means he was whole, he was upright in a moral sense, and it speaks of integrity. In the New Testament, it means to be straight up. Nine times it's the word perfect. Two times it means undefiled. And one time it means upright. Okay? Now, that's what we see here. We see two different things. But this is what I want. This is one of the things that I caught because this is what goes on in my life. All of a sudden, you know, a situation develops before you. Okay, and, and then all of a sudden there's two things that want to get birthed into that situation, okay? The flesh and the spirit. And guess who shows up first? <laughs> yeah. Get behind the wheel of a car and drive down the road. Who shows up first, right? But the flesh and the spirit. That's why it's so important for us that we would be a tempered people. That we would be, like James said, you got to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Right? I think James had some fire to him. I think that's why he wrote that in there because he maybe battled with that and it was something that he had to walk himself through because situations come up and I know for me, number one guy on the line is my flesh. I'm going to deal with that naturally, fired me up, whatever it might be. But so, then you've got to wait for the Spirit to show up. So we see here, as we, as we look at the rest of this chapter, now, now one of the things it says here that, that Jacob was a plain man, and he was dwelling in the tents, okay? That's what his grandfather did. That's what his father did. They dwelt in tents. What does that mean? That means that they had no continuing city here on the earth. They looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. He had the same mindset, and he had the same vision. I believe that this was a man that saw eternity over the temporal. And that's such a key for us, because we're all about the here and now, but think about the soon and come and think about the hereafter because today's the day to be focused on those things, not when the last day comes because we don't even know when our last day's coming. So he had a similar mindset. It's amazing because passed down from God to Abraham, from Abraham to Isaac, Isaac into Jacob. We see that this guy said he, he, he kind of knew something where he lived here like a pilgrim. He was just traveling through this life called earth on this side of eternity heading for the promised land. So we're going to see that God could work with this one. The other one, no, because of his decisions, because of his choices, because of his desires and his appetites. It says that Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. <laughs> That's a heck of a reason to love your kid, but I guess you know that was one of the things that promoted his love for Esau because he did eat of his venison. You know, he's kind of a man's man, but Rebecca loved Jacob. And the sad thing here, I don't get that at all. I don't know how you have favoritism with your kids. You know, but it seems like there was this favoritism going on within the home. And it says here that, that and Jacob was cooking some pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me. <laughs> feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage. 
for I am faint. Therefore, his name was called Edom or Red. That was a nickname that he had to carry the rest of his life. And, and Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. Now, now the thing about the birthright, the birthright was gifted to the oldest, per, oldest uh, sibling, right? The oldest son. And, and it was very important with the family because really you took on the leadership of the family once your dad died, okay? So it was passed from Abraham to Isaac and, and it should have gone to Esau, but Esau, we're going to see here, he's willing to give it away. So the birthright was the leadership of the family. It was also judicial authority, all right? It was a position of high responsibility, and he also became the head priest of the family. So it was a spiritual role. It was a spiritual role of authority and even inherited a double portion of the inheritance. And, and we see here that Jacob said to him, sell me thy birthright. And Esau said, behold, I'm at the point to die guy's a little dramatic, I think. And what profit shall this birthright do me? And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Now, he gives away what was entrusted to him for immediate gratification. All right? Very dangerous. I, I, I think that, that one of the things, we're in, a, we're in a time in human history where things are very emotional, feeling-driven. All right? But I'll tell you what, right now, when your emotions and feelings are at a height, that is the last place you want to make a major decision in your life. You've got to make sure that, that you've got a sound mind. You're not underneath the influence of anything but God Almighty himself. So this guy, he makes a major decision in a moment of weakness, and he forfeited a position of privilege because of just an appetite. Because of just this fleshly appetite that's saying, feed me. And we see that in the Bible. And these are warnings. And so many of the things that we see in Genesis, they're, they're, they're really physical illustrations of spiritual truths for us to glean from. So we see what he was willing to forfeit for this moment of instant gratification. If you go back 22 chapters of what we've been looking at in the book of Genesis, we saw the same thing happen with Eve, right? She had paradise, man. She had the perfect marriage. She lived in a perfect environment. I mean, it's just unbelievable. She didn't have one bad day. She couldn't have a bad day. It was utopia. It was perfect. But here comes the enemy, and he tempts her to do the one thing that God had asked her not to do. And because of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, she goes after it. Instant gratification. Look at everything she forfeited. Look at everything we forfeited because of that decision. We get into the book of Judges. We got a guy by the name of Samson. God wanted him to be a godly ruler, to help take this nation in the right direction and, and to win victories over the enemies of his people. And what does he do? Well, he just gives away all that power because of this lust that he had for this woman named Delilah and allowed the enemy to take him down and destroy him. We get to the Gospels. We see a guy that had the privilege to walk with Jesus for three Three years. He walked with Jesus for three years. He heard the most anointed Bible teaching ever. Nobody fell asleep during Jesus' Bible studies. He saw all the miracles, the things that were just amazing. He was a partaker of that love and that grace and that mercy. And nevertheless, he forfeited the future calling of the privilege of being an, an apostle of Jesus Christ for 30 shekels of silver. And I think it's so important for you and I to look at these things and to take them heart and to know that one wrong decision made out of impulse can change the life, the trajectory of your life. 
so important that we learn from the mistakes and from, from the errors and from the successes of the people in the Bible. Now, look what Paul the Apostle said. If you will, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 with me real quick. The enemy is always going to bait you and I away from the giftings that God wants to bless us with. You're loved by God to a degree you can't even understand. And I believe that Paul, as a student of the Scripture, recognized these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And this is what he says. He goes, And every man that strives for mastery or runs to win is temperate in all things. Okay? He's under self-control. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. Okay? People do this. They enter competitions because they want to win. Right? But he says, for us as believers, we an incorruptible crown. He knew that, that there is a seat of reward someday that he'll stand before Jesus Christ and based upon his faithfulness that he will receive or lose rewards based upon his faithfulness to Christ. He says, this is what Paul says, this is Paul. You know, and, and this is a guy that at the end of his life, you know, he, he told us that, you know, I fought a good fight. I've run a race. I finished my course. That's the way that we want to finish. We want to finish well. But he says, I therefore, I run, not as uncertain, and I, I, so fight I not as one that beats the air, but I keep my body and I bring it into subjection. All right? So he knew the fallen, rebellious side that lived inside of him, his flesh side. He knew that. He knew that God had given him a privilege and his fallen nature, it says here, that I beat it, I bring it into subjection. It literally means I lead it like a slave or like a boxer. I beat it black and blue. So what he means by that is when it comes to the things in my life that are contrary for the glory of God and contrary for my good or the good of others, I tell that side of me, no. I resist its desires. I starve it. That's what he said because of this. He goes, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway or become disqualified. Disqualified from what? Disqualified from the privileged position that God had entrusted with him. He says, you know what? I'm not going to forfeit it. And I wonder if part of that is not remembering what it cost Esau, what it cost Judas, what it cost Samson, what it cost Eve, what it cost these people in the past for forfeiting something that was of such great value. You can turn back to Genesis with me. And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him. And he sold his birthright unto Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. And he did eat and drink and rose up, and he went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He gave it all away. Look at it, for one moment of gratifying the flesh, one moment of pleasure. So as we jump into verse 20, or chapter 26, chapter 26 is a chapter that really focuses on Isaac. Okay, Isaac, you're going to see, he's a humble man, he's a meek man, he's a peacemaker. All right, he's a great example to us, actually. But, but here we go, okay? And, and we're going to see some similarities with what would happen to his father, Abraham. And in verse 1, it says, And there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. So what do we see here? 
Now, like I told you before, a lot of times when we look at these things, in, uh, especially in the Old Testament, they can be physical illustrations of spiritual occurrences in our life. All right? And, and, and what do we see here? We see Isaac encounters a drought in his life. All right? And, and now, it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon to experience a drought in your walk of faith. But what's very important is that you identify it. And what I mean by that is that you could be going through dry seasons, okay? Dry seasons will show up in a believer's life from time to time. They do. And, and I look at this in the Bible. I look at people who are in dry seasons, who are in dry places. And, and you think about Moses was in the desert. He was in a dry place. But in the Bible, he was prepared. there was preparation being made in the dry seasons for Moses to make him the greatest leader of Israel. We see that, that John the Baptist was in the desert. And in the preparation for John the Baptist, that he would become the forerunner of the prophet for Jesus Christ. We see the preparation in Galatians chapter 1 for Paul the Apostle in the Arabia Desert, who would go on to be the most impacting, I believe, of all the disciples, or all the apostles. And you even see the preparation for Jesus' ministry when he was baptized, and the Holy Ghost came upon him, and the Spirit drove him right to the desert. And he was there for 40 days and for 40 nights. So sometimes these dry surroundings, sometimes our dry times, they can be preparations of a great work of God in our lives. Okay? Those are just some of the things that can actually happen in our lives. We can go through dry things. But droughts in our life, dry seasons in our life, can also be because we are choosing disobedience, distance, or even distraction from our living relationship with our resurrected Savior. Listen to what the prophet Amos says. Amos 8.11. Amos 8.11 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine or a drought into the land. And this is what he says, okay? Because I think this is very much similar to the drought that we see here in our country today. Because it says, not a famine of bread, nor of a thirst for water, okay? Tomorrow I'm going grocery shopping. There's no famine in the grocery stores. I'm going to spend about $250 on groceries and bring home about four cases of bottled water, okay? So there is no famine of bread and water. But this is the famine that he's speaking about, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. That's the famine that he warns about. And the word hearing there literally means to listen, to obey. So that means that there will be a famine because people will be going to church, but they will not be listening to the word of God with their heart. People will be reading their Bible, but they won't see the need to obey any of it. You know, when we first moved into our house on Ireland Road, uh, gosh, 22 years ago, um, I went out and I bought like 300 spruce trees. And I bought blue spruce. Because I like blue spruce, I thought they're kind of nice looking, you know, they give off that bluish tint color in, uh, in, the, in the pines and everything. Um, but my favorite spruce now, I always recommend for pine or spruce trees, is the Norway spruce. 
In the Norway spruce, I like the best because number one, it's disease resistant, but it also claims to be drought tolerant. And, you know, the first couple years I was in there, I, I planted like 300 blue spruces and we had a drought that year. And out of my 300 blue spruces, I'd say probably about 20 lived. So the next year I just ordered more. We had another drought and none of them made it. So the following year after that, I did a little bit more homework and I found that these Norway spruces, they're, they're, they're disease resistant and they're drought tolerant. And so I planted those and they lived. And, and they live today. And a matter of fact, I planted them, they were this tall and, and now they're like, I don't know, 20 feet tall, 15 feet tall, something like that. But, but I was wondering, you know, they look the same, but why? What's the difference? And the reason that those Norway spruces could handle any of the droughts that threw, were thrown their way that the blue spruces couldn't was because they had an extensive root system. And it's so important, you know, it, it, it's what you can't see that makes what you can see so lively. So it's what's happening that is unseen to the eye that brings life that what you can see to the eye. You know, for us as believers, we're called to be rooted and grounded in Christ because you know what's going to happen? When those dry seasons come, you ain't going anywhere. You're just going to wait on the Lord and you're going to watch God continue to water your soul and he's going to pull you through that season. You're going to look back and say, wow, that season was actually a time of preparation for this, what he called me to today. Isaiah tells us that if we take root downward, we'll bear fruit upward. Like my blue spruces, you could probably see that things are biblically withering in the United States. There's a famine in the land. Not a famine of bread or of water, but a hearing of the word of the Lord. I can't emphasize to you enough that God has chosen your life to make it a spiritual oasis in a time of famine. He says here in verse 2, And the Lord appeared unto him, and this is, what he's, this is the instruction he's given in a time of famine, when things dry out when things kind of wither up, when things are difficult, you feel like everything's dry and you haven't heard from the Lord in a while. This is what he says here. And the Lord appeared unto him and he said, go not down to Egypt. This is the instruction he's given. He didn't even tell him where to go. He told him where not to go. Don't go down to Egypt. Notice the direction down because that is a spiritual decline down. And when you think about the way the word of God is written to us, Egypt is always symbolic of the world system. Okay. Now, obviously, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but inherit everlasting eternal life. Okay. So we recognize that God loves this world. We're not talking about the landscape or anything, but we're talking about what is taking place with the principalities of the powers that are taking place in the invisible realm amongst humanity. It's a fallen world system that lives in rebellion to God, whose acts, deeds, and philosophies and beliefs are contrary to the scripture. Okay? That's the system that he's warning about. When I first got saved, I had a guy come alongside me and help disciple me. His name was Carmen. I've mentioned him before, but he would write me little notes of encouragement and you know, give me a card at church or mail me a card or whatever. And he always write in there, don't go back to Egypt. And, and, and what he meant by that was don't go back to that world. Okay? That was the world that I came out of. I was living in that rebellion. I was a blasphemer. <laughs> Let's send that thing into the world. Um, but I came out of that system, and, and, and it's representative that we'd see in the future in the book of Exodus that it was a place of bondage for God's people. 
You know, and I know this, man. I had some bondages in my life, but when Jesus Christ sets you free, you're free indeed. And we don't go back to that world. And when things are dry, you don't need to go to the bar. You don't need another ungodly relationship, committing sin, or, or, or thinking that you've got to fill yourself up with the philosophies of this world, get yourself some secular counseling. Absolutely not. You get to Jesus, you get to his feet, and you watch him pull you through your droughts. He says, don't go, don't go, to, don't go to Egypt. Um, we remember Demas. Demas was an individual that was a fellow servant with, with, with Paul. I don't know if he went through a drought or not, but he could have. You know what happened to him? He forsook him. He forsook the calling of God. He forfeited this wonderful privilege God gave him, and he loved the present world. He went for that fallen system that the Bible says, don't go, after, don't go to Egypt. The place of bondage, the place of idolatry, and the place of sinful living. You want to know what you do in a drought? I'll tell you what you do in a drought. Go to Ezekiel 37 with me. You could be here today, you could be in a drought. Hey, you know what? It's, it's all right. I mean, you're luckier than me because I've been in droughts before and I still got to get up here and teach like I'm not in one. But trust me, we go through them. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and he set me down in the midst of a valley which full of bones. And caused me to pass them round about, and behold, there were very many in this open valley, and lo, they were dry. <laughs> like a spiritual desert. Okay? Obviously, this is speaking about the nation of Israel, but I really believe there's some biblical principles in here that can help bring us to life the same way that he did that nation if we're going through dry times. And this is what he said, Son of me, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, you know. And again, he said unto me, look at this, prophesy unto these bones, prophesy unto these dry bones. You speak my word into these dry bones. O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Then thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and bring up, bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. That's what a spokesman for God does. He speaks what God tells him to speak. I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, look at there was a noise. Things began to happen. And behold, a shaking and the bones came together bone to bone. I hope I can see this vision in heaven someday. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them about, but there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, which is a picture of the Spirit, Son of Man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. What do we see here? We see this drought right here, and you know what he says? Take in the word that's being spoken into your life, and take in all that the Holy Spirit wants to offer you. And you're not going to lie around like a dead, dry individual anymore. God's going to make you a part of his army for his glory. Fighting the fight that's worth fighting. The one that Paul said, I fought the good fight. So if you're in a drought, God's instruction to you today would be you take in 
the word that's being spoken to you here today in your devotional reading, the messages you might be hearing on the radio, in taking all the Holy Spirit wants to offer you. He, he, he wants to offer you a lot more than just dwelling in you. He wants to empower you. He's the one that brings the life and the love of God in and through our lives. This is what we do in a drought. So you can go back to uh, Genesis with me. And this is what he tells him. So this is what he tells him, right? Don't go to Egypt. Don't head for the world. But stay right here in this land, and I'll be with thee. I'll bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all the countries, and I will perform my oath that I swore unto Abraham thy father. So then God calls us to do what right here? In this verse, verse 3, enjoy his presence. Acknowledge where all the blessings of our life come from. And watch and wait for his promises to come to fruition in our lives, because they will. Whatever God's blessed you with, guard it. The Bible says to keep your heart with all diligence. It literally means to mount a garrison around it. You guard your heart. Don't sell out to what the enemy wants to offer you, because I'll guarantee you, he'll throw you your 30 shekels of silver. He'll throw you your Delilah. He'll throw you the beautiful fruit that looks so good of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you're in dry times today, you need to recognize that's a time where you just need to hang on knowing that you've been hung on to. You're being hung on to. And let that word speak into your life. Let it have its way. This is a living, active word. This comes off the page, into the heart, transforms the life from the inside out. This isn't words on paper. This is the revelation of the heart of Almighty God. And allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that He can do so that He can put you on your feet and give you purpose for the spiritual battle that lies ahead for the glory of God. Father, we thank you that we get to glean from the truths and the principles of your word, Lord, and I pray that we would take examples like Esau, like Jacob, seasons of drought, seasons of dryness, Lord, that you'd help us to glean from them, that that these things are written in there, that that we would learn from these examples you tell us. And I do pray, Lord, I, I pray for people that are here today and and. Maybe they're in a drought, God, that, that you would water their soul and, and, and that they would just choose to really take into their heart what you're speaking to them, taking it out by submitting to it, obeying it, being blessed by it. And, and God, I, I ask, Lord, too, that our hearts should be open to your Holy Spirit doing a greater work in us this year. And that Holy Spirit, that you'd bless us with more of your presence and that you come upon us in such a strong way that you you would empower us to live out and to fulfill the purposes why we were created and to play our role in the annals of all eternity. I bless you for the lives that are here today. I pray your richest blessings over each person in this room. I, I pray, God, that is you're calling your church closer to yourself because you're coming back so quickly that we would choose to yield to you and to draw nigh unto you as you draw nigh unto us, God. Thank you for your love and for your faithfulness to us. 
I pray for the lives that are here that, that, that need hope, that you give them hope, Father, that you'd remove the condemnation of the devil, that you give everybody in here a clean slate as we just offer our hearts to you. I pray, God, that if there's any healing in this room that needs to be healed, God, that you'd supernaturally, divinely bring healing to the lives of everybody that might need it in this room here today, that you'd heal relationships that are broken and fractured, God, that you'd restore and renew hope to those who are depressed and discouraged today. And I pray, Jesus, that, that we would be more in tune to your voice and the devil's. So we bless you and we thank you that you are the most wonderful thing that's ever happened to us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is your week.